Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Style Files podcast. I'm your host, Paloma Contreras, and I'm thrilled to welcome today's guest, Michael Amato. Michael Amato is a creative director of the Urban Electric Company. He's been at the helm of the company's creative vision since its very early days and has helped to form and shape its trajectory both creatively and as a business. Under the guidance of Michael Amato, Urban Electric has introduced a continuous flow of new products that are uncompromising in quality unparalleled in originality and versatility, and endlessly customizable in form and function. Inspired by art, fashion, history, architecture, and pop culture, each of the Urban Electric Company's original designs is bench-made and hand-finished at their Charleston, South Carolina factory using a blend of traditional and modern techniques. Michael splits his time currently between London and Charleston and constantly finds new inspiration for incredible new designs. Prior to joining the Urban Electric Company, he had a long-standing career in the visual merchandising space in the retail industry. We're so excited to welcome you today, Michael. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Michael. How are you? Hey, Paloma. How are you? Great. I'm doing well. So are you stateside in Charleston or are you in London currently? No, I'm in London. <clears throat> oh, wonderful. Well, how are things there? Sunny London. It's been nothing but sunny since we've had lockdown. Um, things are great. We're kind of slowly easing our way back in. Um, we have um, some changes in social distancing right now, which have been great. We're now allowed um, an indefinite amount of time to exercise. So earlier, we just were able to go out like once a day to <clears throat> exercise or go to a shop for essentials. And now we're able to um, exercise as much as we want. So I've taken lots of um, long walks, which have been great. That's so nice. Well, it sounds like they're being a little bit more conservative as they have been in France and Italy with um, sort of letting up on some of the shelter in place orders that have been in effect. They are, and it seems to be, at its core, it's also kind of decent. It's just everyone's looking out for each other. It's just kind of respectful of our um, NHS, the care workers, and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And also just trying not to just to curtail the spread of the disease, or the, uh, what do we want to call it? Right. That's so nice to hear. <laughs> well, as someone who's constantly going back and forth across the pond, do you anticipate that you'll be traveling again this year or do you think it will be a while before you're able to comfortably do so? I won't be uncomfortable traveling. I mean, I think uh, one of the last times I was in the States was in March. I had seen you were all at that dinner that night. And right. on March 10th was when I got back. I was a little leery flying back to London now, but I decided I was confident that I would take measures to be safe and things would be just fine. I can see myself traveling again back to the States this year. Well, that's good. I think that's a hopeful outlook for sure. A lot of yeah. us have, we just, I mean, we don't know. I feel like there are so many unknown factors and none of, no one's really in control of what's going to happen. I mean, no. it's something as powerful as this virus has been and it seems to be morphing and whatnot. I think the best thing we can do, as you mentioned, was just to be prepared and to do the decent thing, to do our part, to slow the spread and to look out for those around us. Mm -hmm. true, true, so true. Michael, I'm so excited to speak with you today because we've highlighted a lot of interior designers and architects so far on the podcast, but you are in a unique position in that you are creative director of 
the Urban Electric Company, which is one of the foremost manufacturers of lighting in particular um, in the United States. And you guys, I think, have such an incredible um, place in the market in the sense that your brand ethos is so strong and you do something that's so unique and there's such a pride of craftsmanship that goes along with what you all produce and introduce to the market. Uh, But before we dive into the nitty gritty of your role there, let's go back a little bit. Did you always know that you were destined to work in a creative industry? Oh, for sure. I mean, my background has always been art and arts and yeah, since the very beginning, since I was a young boy, I've always always um, drawn and painted and have had art classes and just, yeah, I've always, always participated in the arts. So yeah, I just, there was, That's so nice. yeah. Where did you grow up? Um, I grew up in Connecticut. I grew up in a town called East Norwalk and we're on the Long Island Sound. So we're between the, the fancier town of Darien and what has become fancier now, uh, Westport and New Canaan is a great little spot at uh, Fairfield County. Right. And how do you feel that growing up in that region informed your aesthetic, if at all? Um, oh, it definitely did. I mean, we're, it was very, I remember uh, fighting at the time, it was very colonial as far as the style went. I was so bored with that as a child. So was, having seen those things, those things become ingrained in you, but also mm-hmm. it pushed me to really look at modern. And, I, and as, a, as a boy, I just wanted Chrome. I didn't want anything wood. Um, that's since changed. But um, yeah, it, it definitely informed my my aesthetic sense. And as far as being so, rather than classic and traditional. Sure, certainly that classic American style that you've obviously interpreted um, later on in life with, with some European influences as well. Um, what did you study in school? Uh, I studied fashion at Parsons in New York. Oh, how fascinating. And what was that experience like? Um, that was amazing. And as you don't realize at the time when you're going through it, because it is so massive and exhausting and draining because you're so young and you just put everything into it. Um, it was tremendous. And I was there at, a, at an amazing time. Um, New York was really just so alive and so creative and just so, I mean, everybody and everything was happening then. Just uh, so just so much that has stuck with me. What lessons would you say you've taken forward with you from that time? Oh, I mean, definitely just look, 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 look. Always keep your eyes mm-hmm. open. It's one of the things they taught us at school was that just just always look, no matter where you are, what you are, just, just eyes wide open and just keep, just take it all in. And uh, for me, that was great. And that nothing- That's we, such we, an... <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead. That we will, we won't be creating anything new under the sun. Everything's already been done before. It's just how you interpret it or see things that brings your unique stamp or your vision to the world. That is so true. I I can think of very few people in this world, in the creative realm, or specifically in design, who are doing something entirely new or different because everyone's taking cues and influences from the past, however mm-hmm. far back and reinterpreting those things in their own unique way. Um, but it's so, so rare to, to see an original idea, a completely original idea. Right. And even when you think that you are, you just feel like something, well, especially with the immediacy of the internet, now you realize like, oh, right. already. <laughs> there's something, I definitely was something in the back of my head or the back of my mind that brought that forward, but yeah. Sure. 
So did you end up um, working in the fashion industry for some time before I, ending up where you are now? I did, but it's so funny in an abstract way. And listening to your podcast, a lot of us have kind of come from that same sort of background. I went into visual merchandising. Mm-hmm. And um, I loved it because it allowed me to do everything that I liked doing. My whole goal, and it has still is my goal, was to not do the same thing every day. And just you're able to touch on interests in graphics and in fashion and just everything. We just we did everything. We built things. We painted things. We constructed. We just did all sorts of things. It was really um, fulfilling. It was at a time when there was a, a, a uh, the the reins were a lot freer then. So it was very, it was great. So where were you during that time? Were you in New York or? No, I was well, back and forth. I was in Connecticut and I started for a department store called G Fox. And through there, I kept getting promoted and moved all throughout the Northeast. I was in Hartford, Springfield, uh, Rhode Island. I was in Providence for a while, which was funny because um, I had looked at, RISD and decided I only ever wanted to go to school in New York City so but I ended up loving um, Providence uh, and Boston and then in New York. Wow and at what point then um, you obviously did that for a while right you were in visual merchandising for quite a while and obviously ascended through the ranks with um, that company at what point did you decide that you needed a change? Um, it was towards, I was working in uh, our downtown Boston store and a friend was working for a designer in the city. They're putting together a boutique and we've been back and forth on things and I decided it'd be kind of fun to step out and go into the other side of uh, the other side of the business, um, which was, which was fun. And then from there, I went into a lot of freelancing. That's so great. So you were designing interiors at the time? Um, interiors, but also I started doing a little bit of product. I designed things like slippers. Oh. <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah, interesting things. It was, it was kind of fun. It tied in fashion and, and all sorts of things. So yeah, it was good. That's so great. Slippers were my favorite one. Yeah. So let's fast forward a bit. Tell us a bit about how you then came to be creative director at Urban Electric, at what point did um, did that sort of step come into play in your trajectory? Sure, I had moved to Charleston um, and ninety um, seven, I think it was, with um, former college roommate and best friend, and we started a little design business, and then uh, we split up, and I moved back to New York to work at a job with. Bloomingdale's and Bergdorf's and back and forth and then 2000 went back to Charleston and um, I had been doing some interiors and uh, I needed lighting and stumbled upon a a shop that Dave and Jen uh, Dawson were running and we instantly became friends and realized that we shared a lot of um, similar uh, aesthetic sense and desires for certain things to make certain things happen and create. So it kind of just evolved. There was no great plan. There was no study of lighting. It just, it just, it, it kind of uh, built and grew from there. That's incredible. Uh, I, when the company, yeah. <laughs> I think those are the best stories when something happens sort of organically mm. and it grows over time rather than setting out with some master plan. Yeah. 
so we all, yeah, so just it kind of just, it, it, it just evolved and they had bought a um, small lantern maker and I had come on board and the whole point and my mind and Dave's mind is like, didn't want to just do these traditional lanterns, but how do we take it and make it something more? And I was really intrigued by, I had been around for so long. I loved what Tom Ford had done with Gucci and how he'd taken something so classic and traditional, but put a more current uh, spin or take on it. So that was always the, the plan with um, the lighting to kind of not decimate what had been there, but kind of just acknowledge that and build um, from that. How was that initially received in Charleston with it being such an historic town with such a sort of traditional um, point of view? Actually great because it wasn't, um, it wasn't, we were still doing the traditional lanterns, the copper ones that went through town and the gas lights, that sort of thing, maybe just cleaning them up a little bit. And it was at a time when there were a lot of people moving to Charleston that wanted something that wasn't just so um, by the book and wanted something maybe just a little slightly different. And we weren't really offering anything you know, so extreme that it was gonna be um, an insult <laughs> to town or the aesthetic. Sure. It was just a, just a different view or just, a, just a, a way to kind of enhance what's already there. Do you remember uh, which of your designs were among the first collection, if you will? Yeah, it's so funny. I mean, it's when things like this come about, you kind of take a few minutes to think back of like some of the certain things and some of those are still with it. But honestly, uh, Chisholm Hall, mm. which I was still decorating that I had done for a friend who had a um, uh, an apartment in a um, old school building. So it had these great high ceilings and just tried to mix it all up. And I wanted to do a lantern for this hallway. And there was this great kind of it just needed something square in this one little uh, center point where all the where all the rooms and doorways met. And I just came up with that light and just, it's been a, a favorite of mine since. And just all sorts of great things happened um, from that light fixture. So that that's, that's a fun one to think back on. That's amazing. It's such a pretty fixture and it can certainly go um, more traditional or in a more modern space and work just as beautifully mm -hmm. either way. And I know that you eventually introduced the Chisholm Clean, which is also super cool and yes. more um, clean lined, obviously, hence the name, more modern. We're actually going to use that in a project we're currently working on. So very excited about oh, that. Cool. Yeah. Which version, round or square? The square. Oh, cool. Great. Yeah. Great, great, great. Yeah. So oh, yeah, it's fun. We have this. Oh, sorry. No, no, it's okay. Go ahead. We had this whole moment of color come out from that fixture. There was, I wanted this kind of a traditional bluey green and there was a fabric that had just the lightest hint of that trim on it. It was a Lulu DK fabric. And uh, that started the whole Chisholm blue and all that sort of thing, which mm. has been pretty great for us. That's awesome. I do like the way that you work in color throughout the various collections. I think it's done in a really fresh way, but it still feels really versatile which is one of the foundations of the, the company. Um, the, the whole thing of starting and doing what we were doing was that I never wanted what was available to me. I always <laughs> wanted to tweak it or change it. And uh, I always wanted it smaller, bigger, black or white, or just, just didn't want anything that was offered. So the foundation of the company was to start that sort of thing. So we were able to add color and change finishes and have these kind of unlimited um, abilities. 
to do that sort of thing. Would you say that that is at the core of the Urban Electric's um, ethos as a company? It's it's a part of it. I think that one of our true cores is that we really worked, uh, especially uh, in the South, and, and it was still peculiar at that time, we worked really hard to give opportunity to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And what we did was, you know, we hired we hired a lot of women, we hired a lot of minorities, we just were just always open and just wanted to just create this whole amazing environment where we were just able to create a company that was able to help support people and they could support families and just just it was all this kind of great thing we were excited about doing. So that's probably number one at our core. And then number two is design. Number one is designed for me, but I still, I love our, our ethos <laughs> as far as like really uh, supporting people. Absolutely. Well, I had the pleasure, as you mentioned, um, back in March, my last pre-coronavirus trip was actually to Charleston and um, you all hosted a beautiful dinner. And then I had the pleasure of touring your new facility that you recently moved into. And one of the things that I was most struck by besides the incredible level of organization and how clean and structured everything was you know there wasn't even an inkling of chaos you would think a factory floor would you know be super busy and somewhat chaotic but it it's really run like a fine-tuned machine Um, but everyone that I met whether it was Dave Dawson the president or Missy Holsey who runs um, your creative and marketing department I'm not sure exactly what her title is but she I'm just yeah. yeah I associate her with so much of the company um and then of course the people working on the shop floor everyone was just so proud and you could feel that they they felt a sense of almost ownership um in their specific task as well as in the overall success of the company and I think that that speaks tremendously to the culture that you all have created and the fact that it has that trickle down effect, you could tell that people felt really appreciated and really proud of how they're contributing to that end product, whether it's a lantern or, you know, again, the overall success of Urban Electric. Mm-hmm. That's so awesome. I'm so glad that you, you picked up on that. I mean, one of the things that we do, which is so exciting, is we always share with employees, you know, our photographs, just like, you know, this ended up in Palm Beach, this is in New York at so-and-so's house. And so everybody really just is excited as we all are as to where these things end up and what we're kind of putting out into the world is kind of something that we really all believe in. So it's just, it is, it is great that that comes across. That's wonderful. I remember reading something when I was there, it was sort of emblazoned in a couple of places. It said, always proud, never satisfied. Could yes. you tell me a little bit about that? That's uh, Dave's call to action. Mm-hmm. And it is it is very true because we are always proud of what we create or what we put out there or bring to the world, but we can't always be satisfied. There's always room for improvement. So just keep going, keep moving, moving forward, moving forward, moving forward. So it just, it's part of never being satisfied. It's not just a matter of looking at something like, well, this is finished, move on, <laughs> get it out there, ship it out there. Just, you have to, has to tick all the boxes. That's right. And even when we think it's done, there's room to make a print set better or to build something better or to finish something better or even to design something better. So that's amazing. And what are some of the things that you oversee in your role as creative director? 
early on, it was a number of things and it's grown into a nice spot right now. I, when I started, I designed like the logo and worked on so many things. It would be Dave and I um, working on the website and working on just anything promotional, worked on, I went on all the photo shoots, um, designed the offices, selected pencils, and we did it all. Now we've got a great team and group of people um, behind us. So number one, my major focus now is um, product. I still dabble with our art director and our photographer, the two people that I love working with. I love working with our product team too, but I love working with our photographer and our director too. So those are I kind of, I always say I, I dabble in decorating and I dabble with the art director and photographer. That's a, but mainly a product. That's now. so great. That's really cool to have a hand in all of that. Now you all have a different approach than a typical furniture or lighting manufacturer in our industry where you don't show in high point and you're not in traditional showrooms. Do you bring new mm -hmm. designs to market twice a year like most manufacturers do? Are you doing it constantly throughout the year? Tell us a little bit about how you're bringing new things to, to the marketplace. Sure. We changed all of that. We decided early on not to be a part of um, showrooms. That had something to do with my retail background and also working in the design industry. I kind of felt that showrooms are just in a, in a shifting way. Um, but for us to bring product to market now, at one point we held things for collections and held things seasonal and we were kind of holding things because this magazine wanted it or that one wanted it or something. And we just kept waiting. We'd have one piece, a collection of 10 pieces on hold with one group and then, you know, two pieces on hold with another and then half the, maybe one or two things would go out there if the story went out at all. We decided to just, with the change in the industry, that we were just going to continue to do our thing and put our product out as we saw fit. So realizing that the changes in the marketplace where people are just, it is saturated. People are always wanting something new and something more and something now. We just have a continuous um, stream of product that we're launching and we release almost weekly something new, so. That's incredible. And you're responsible yeah. for the bulk of the new designs, correct? I know that you have a few different mm -hmm. partners like Stephen Gambrell and Nikki Kehoe, Martin Brzezinski, but um, the bulk of what is in the assortment comes from your mind's eye. Is that correct? Yes. That's so great. And how do you determine? Are you just like an artist where you're in a mood for a specific sort of idea <laughs> or is it more sort of sales driven? Or combination it, it's it's a combination it's kind of that's one of the things that has changed and grown through the years too whereas once upon a time you're like you know i like this you like that let's do this let's do that we kind of are now in, with this stream of launching and it's it's kind of we pick and choose what's going out there so if there's something i really believe in and really 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 want to have it out there i think we find a way to make that happen but it's 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 listening to a lot of information. We're listening to marketing. We're listening to what our outside sales or salespeople are asking for, and try to 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 work around all of that. And also with producing so much product, you can design something, but it could take some time to have it made. Like you know, are some of our glasses blown in Italy? So it's like whatever happens there, you know, affects how we're able to get that glass for the first prototype, and how we're able to 
go forward and produce that item with them to bring it to market in a consistent way. So there's all sorts of factors that, that um, establish what piece comes out, when and where. Sure, that makes a lot of sense. Have you always been, would you say that you're passionate about lighting or that it's always been a favorite design element? I know that there are some people who have obsessions with chairs or mirrors or other specific objects that they're constantly collecting. I'm still a chair fanatic. Um, it's kind of funny because I am, not, and I always feel bad about this. I, um, I love lighting and it's been great for me, but it wasn't always my passion. Mm. And I didn't start out to become a lighting designer. Um, uh, actually, what's so funny is a million years ago when I was in college, I worked on summers and weekends at a lighting store. And I was the, the worst employee, but I actually realized <laughs> I learned a, a lot more than, than, what I real, than what I thought I, I gathered. That's so interesting. I didn't, yeah, I didn't want to sell things like certain kind of chandeliers I didn't like. I didn't like, there's also, if I didn't like it, I wouldn't sell it. And that mm-hmm. was, that's not a good salesperson. <laughs> or maybe it is. <laughs> well, I mean, it certainly makes the job of pitching something a little bit harder if you can't personally stand behind it. Right. That's certainly. Yeah, funny. I didn't understand. There were all, all these old guys who were like, they'd come, that were working their salesman. They're like, you know, I'll, I'll take that. So I was like, oh, I'm not going to sell that chandelier. And, um, you know, these old guys, and I didn't realize till the end of summer, I got this commission check. I was like, what's this for? They're like, it's your commission. Then I realized, wow, well, those guys were happy to take all the sales I didn't want because I didn't like the aesthetic of what they were looking at. That's so funny. Well, how would you describe your personal style? Um, I, uh, I don't know what I'd describe as. I'm all over the place as far as it goes. I do like modern. I do like traditional. I like very, I guess I'm probably more classic. Um, than anything it's probably yeah it's just it's that it's that jumble mm-hmm. I love modern art um but I like uh all sorts of things I like deco I like frequency I like Georgian I like it all it's all about the mix <laughs> yeah I guess so. <laughs> is there a rule in design that you live by um for me it has always been that I hate Anyone who works with me knows I hate um, rules and restrictions. <laughs> so um, that's that's one that I, I I don't really subscribe to a hard rule, but I do like you know I like odd numbers. I like mm-hmm. I like to throw something off as far as far as a proportion goes, or uh, you know just just something like that. But no, no hard or fast rules. Excellent. Where do you turn for inspiration? What's inspiring you these days? Uh, everywhere and everything again it's uh, not easy to pin down but I love and it's one of the things I loved in Charleston too and I still love in Charleston I love walking I'm a, I'm a fanatic for walking I just it's amazing what comes to you from walking um, you just see so many details and so many different things it could be a color someone's wearing it could be a uh, the cornice, it could be just, it could be anything. And this is, London is such an amazing city because we have so much history and so much to look at that. I mean, every day I'm inspired by something and just something different and you name it. That's incredible. Well, you're so lucky that you get to split your time between London and Charleston, two of my favorite cities that are so beautiful, Mm -hmm. both so 
richly steeped in history and have such incredible architectural history as well. Um, why did you choose these two specific cities to be your home? I'll say they chose me. <laughs> I, like I had that. always, <laughs> I'd always loved um, living in older cities. Um, I loved living in Providence. I loved being in Boston. I loved Springfield. I loved all the older New England cities. Um, and then when I stumbled upon Charleston, it was amazing because for me it was, it was like Providence with uh, palm trees. And I just, there's a certain kind of, um, maybe it's um, an innate sense of order, but there's a certain kind of balance I feel when things are symmetrical and orderly. And although I may not be, um, it just, it, I find it very calming and very uh, just, is that feng shui? What is that? <laughs> <laughs> at, at what point did you decide to make London home as well? Um, that came about a couple of years ago. I had always um, loved London and been spending a lot of time here and um, was fortunate the opportunity came about that I could now live anywhere that I wanted to. And uh, London just was the spot. London called me and that's where I ended up. I think each of these cities, Charleston and London, has such a distinct personality, if you will, do they feed your creative soul in different ways? Oh, definitely, definitely. I mean, one of the things I enjoy, uh, like I said, in both cities is walking, but London is just such a, I am, despite growing up in the suburbs, growing up an hour outside of New York City, I've always been a city person, but I've also been a beach bum. So I've had those two constant poles. And so each city offers me that opportunity to either be city or to be Charleston is a little bit of city and, and a lot of beach bum so I kind of, <laughs> I kind of really love that for sure and in a typical year corona notwithstanding how do you split your time between the two is there a set sort of calendar for you in terms of where there, you're going to be yeah there had been and I had been traveling so much that I had been trying to at least every six weeks be back in Charleston for at least a week or 10 days um, sometimes it was a little shorter distance or a little shorter time. It could be one point is almost once a month when we were working on the new building. But um, yeah, that, that was always my, my objective and my goal. Amazing. Well, I'm jealous. I wish that I could live in either London or South or Charleston. I would take either. <laughs> I they're, do love London. Amazing. I've been um, spending more time in Paris in recent years than I have in London. Mm -hmm. I haven't been back in probably, I don't know, maybe five years, but for whatever reason during the whole stay at home coronavirus thing, I've been sort of longing for London. I don't know why specifically that's come about, but I think I just want to go back to the places that I love and, and be somewhere other than my house for a bit. I, I think that we all like that. Also, you have to remember, it's such a short train, right? When you're in Paris, mm -hmm. it's so easy to, to come over to London. I think that one of the things about London, which is so great, is that it is, uh, it's a very kind city. It's got, um, it's a very kind city, I will say that. And it's just got, it, being steeped in tradition, I think there's something comforting about that. And there's just the familiarity of what we have here that mm -hmm. makes it, I think, desirable. It's sort of place you want to, to be embraced by right now at this moment. So did you find that it was somewhat easy to settle in when you became a resident there? 
Oh, definitely. So my mom is from Scotland. So I was kind of raised with a homesick um, mother. So I grew up with uh, the humor, everything we watched on television, even the bad food. My mom never made anything spicier. At, at that time, it, the food wasn't very good here. Um, so I kind of grew up around this. So it was nothing really foreign. And I have still have family here. So it's just, it's not, it was very easy to settle in. And I have some friends here that I had made through the years and uh, yeah, it was really, it was really easy. It felt like coming home, which was, which is amazing anywhere. To, to How have wonderful. That mm. That's incredible. Michael, who are some of your style icons? Um, that might be all over the place too. I really love, I mean, all the, the classics. I'm always big on Albert Hadley and Billy Baldwin and David Hicks, and I'm a big Colfax fan, Colfax mm -hmm. Fowler. I also really love uh, Frederick, uh, was it Mishiche? Mishiche? No, yeah, yeah. I never say that correctly. Um, Frederick Mishiche? Mishiche? Hmm, I'm not great sure. French, great French decorator who um, I always love. He used to have this kind of, or still have this kind of, he had an apartment years ago that was kind of like all black and white and striped and uh, like pieces of Raoul Dufy art and just great sculpture and just kind of a yeah. great kind of mix. It felt very livable. Um, Siri Mom, which is funny, mm -hmm. um, more so now than ever. I realized when I was pulling my flat, as we call it here together, that there was a big influence of Siri Mom more than I realized until I had finished and actually during lockdown was going through a lot of books and realized that, oh, wow, there was more of a mom influence here than I, than I realized. How interesting. I love that you're kind of all over the map with stylistic influences, <laughs> because I feel the same way, even if, you know, I want to live a, a more specific way in my own home, or I design with a certain common thread in my mm -hmm. varying projects for clients, even if overall they're different I do appreciate so many different forms of design and styles and periods and amazing very very varied decorators of the past I think there's something to learn from all of those things Definitely. so I like that you're not stuck to one particular look or mm -hmm. influence no I love that. It's one of the things I do love about traveling is that I I, I can be in the the coldest most modern of um spaces and just absolutely love them as much as I would love a cozy room with a fireplace and a chintz chair. I just, I can kind of hope to find and see the um, attributes of both, so. Well, sure. And I'm sure that's part of why living in two different places is so wonderful. You know, what we surround ourselves with can sometimes be dependent upon a mood, if you will, and mm -hmm. you get to experience two very distinct moods depending on where you are. Definitely, definitely. Is there anything that people might be surprised to learn about you? <laughs> um, I'm trying to think. I'm pretty much an open book. Uh, I don't. I don't know. Um, I don't think so. Okay, um. well, that's refreshing. <laughs> that just means that what you see is what you get, and yeah, like you I'm said, you're you. an open book. <laughs> if you weren't doing what you're doing today as creative director for the urban electric co what do you think you'd be doing with your life it's funny you be decorating? 
yeah, I would still be decorating. And the one thing is that I, I mean, I always, and I still always dabble and I dabble, dabble seems to be my word of the, the year, but I still mm. dabble with friends that are decorating and still dabble with some of my earlier clients. I don't, I actually stay with them. I don't charge or anymore, but I'm always still, you know, one on the, the phone or answer questions or happy to, to give my 10 cents. Um, so I would still be decorating for sure, but I probably, I might go, I find um, what's happening in retail so interesting again right now. I think there's a, there's a room for uh, some excitement in there. So I probably would step in there in some capacity. How do you think things will change as we come out of this pandemic? Obviously, the American economy, the global economy really has been mm -hmm. impacted so severely and even prior to this, I think brick and mortar retail or traditional retail has really been shifting into a different direction. What do you foresee to be the future of, of retail? I don't think that brick and mortar is going away. As a matter of fact, I found it really interesting that people were saying they're having such a bad time in business because I thought, well, if everything went to um, the internet, then why aren't you doing all right? Mm -hmm. Since your stores are closed. Um, or since a store is closed. I do think that what happened was, and I was around the industry and that thing sort of happened is that it became, especially in America, very complacent and very um, NBA and numbers driven and the heart and soul of it all kind of left. And it's funny listening to some of your earlier people on your podcast too. A, a lot of us all, like I said, started in that, in that world. It was, it was a time that was a little bit more exciting. But here, like to look at what's happening at Harrods or look at what happens at Selfridges or Fortnum Mason, like they're really working hard to make it interesting and exciting. And I think that you just have to get to work and make it interesting and make it exciting and just try to do something that's a little bit more unexpected and not so uh, numbers driven, which any business person would, of course, I think hang me up over, but sorry, that's how I feel. <laughs> well, you know, the numbers, I think, matter. Obviously, right. the numbers are important, but. I think you've touched on something so interesting and so valid. The fact that if you think about the great retailers, the great, um, the great brands in particular in past years or past decades, it really was about creating an experience, mm -hmm. creating sort of a lifestyle. If you look at someone like Ralph Lauren, right. I mean, talk about probably the most globally recognized brand mm -hmm. And their mission, what they stand for, their values, the lifestyle that, you know, they're creating that people aspire to is evident in everything across all of their channels. Right. And a lot of that storytelling goes away um, in sort of our current climate. So it is important, I think, to think about what is the mission? What are we trying to convey beyond just selling right. wares? I mean, it's my hope, and I imagine that the minute shops open, people can't wait to be outside and be a part of them. And just, just, I mean, I'm so excited to stroll down an aisle here right now. It just, it's really, I think that I just see more people engaging um, in those platforms again. Hopefully. Yes, for sure. And I, you know, I think what you said about adapting is also really important because just across the design or furnishings industry, a lot of the old ways of doing business no longer right. work. You know, you mentioned not being in showrooms or bringing pieces to market in a different way. Well, you're very smart 
and almost visionary to, to do things that way, to really step aside from the herd and do some, do, march to the beat of your own drum, essentially, and, and figure out a way that works for you. Just because it worked for everyone else for however long doesn't mean that it's going to work moving right. forward. Um, but I think that that's also an important lesson because oftentimes people get so stuck in their ways and what had worked previously and they sort of resist mm-hmm. change as people start to process information and ask for things to be delivered in, in a different package, if you will. And that's when you sort of become a dinosaur and you no longer, you're no longer um, relevant. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned retailers who have resisted going online. If, well, if that's where the people are, then you need to be there. In fact, we just opened a tiny little brick and mortar in Houston um, in January of 2019. And thank goodness that we decided to launch Mm e-commerce last summer because that's what's kept us alive throughout this whole pandemic. If we were closed, we wouldn't be making any money. But thankfully, our website's been going gangbusters because everybody wants to shop for their home right now. So, you know, you have to adapt to what people want. Give the people what they want. Exactly. And part two of that was always something that Deanna Breeland said, give them what they didn't know they wanted. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Exactly. Part of uh, my, the back of my head as well. How did you find foot traffic um, at your shop before all this happened? Did you find that you had a crowd coming through? You know, it was like after lunch crowd or before lunch crowd or. It it was good. I would never say that we had like a a crowd, Mm -hmm. if you will, because it's a small shop and we're in this cute little sort of development called the creative cottages. And so there are, um, I don't know, maybe 12 little bungalows that were, um, saved from being demolished by a developer and so they all date back to I mean for here it's Charleston it's brand new but here right, it's right. old to be you know from the early 20th century so we have these cute little cottages and everybody in the development's either an antique shop or um, interior design firms other kinds of creative businesses and so we are there it's not like we're in a high traffic um shopping center or anything like that but people know about us and so the majority of our clientele is either interior Mm. designers or design enthusiasts and I feel like our customer is either the young busy mom who is a design enthusiast and is in her early 30s to early Mm. 40s or it's that girl's Uh mother who is now you know in her 60s and doesn't have a schedule and isn't working and can pop in throughout the day and just shop to her heart's desire. Um, So we're pretty busy first thing in the morning through lunch and then mid afternoon, it starts to drop off because that's when school pickup happens. So it is a very sort of female driven Mm -hmm. audience. And I find that it's sort of um, the traffic is dictated by the family schedule to some degree, but yeah, I mean, most days we'd have, a decent amount of foot traffic and Saturdays we still haven't figured out to this day. So we're open sort of abbreviated hours on Saturday from 11 to four and some Saturdays are incredible. And then other Saturdays are completely dead and there's just no rhyme or reason. And I don't know if that's sort of just par for the course. Um, It seems to be the general consensus when we've spoken to other retailer friends, but I don't know. We're still we still feel like it's worth being open. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And that's the one thing I always found. I've spent a uh, number of times in Texas, since it's a state that I always love. You definitely, Texas always 
is on its own beat, which I think is great, but it's also very supportive of, of design and just, uh, I always thought to be mm -hmm. a very, um, just a very enthusiastic place. And it does seem like if, if you've got one of the ladies, you'll have them all in Texas. When one comes through, they, they love to share with their friends yeah. and everybody just can't wait to be a part of, of, of that sort of excitement. So I think that's great. Exactly. Yes, that's so true. If you could go back in time, is there a piece of advice that you would give to your younger self? Yes, chill out. <laughs> <What's that? laughs> um, despite having a lot of fun, I was always very neurotic about like, oh, I need to be doing this. I should do this by then or whatever. And I just you know, realized that I, there was, especially at school, I was very intense at school, just like, just chill out. I did well at school and mm -hmm. college, but I just was like, that I could have had even more fun than I had. So I don't know, I guess, but it's all, there's, there's no regrets. There's no, everything leads to where you're supposed to be. So I just then subscribe to that. So it all did what it was supposed to do. That's exactly right. I couldn't agree more. Well, Michael, we're recording this conversation in the midst of staying at home during the coronavirus pandemic, as you're well aware. What has this experience taught you? Have you found a silver lining? Oh, I definitely did. And it's interesting early on, I really did, because I, I guess I, I went through all the motions everybody else went through, but I found myself really um, just so creatively charged and just, it was actually kind of nice to be home. And I have, the one thing I, I sent over with me here was I sent, the only things I sent over were books and artwork. And I just have been going back through books and just really enjoying that and really taking them in in a way that I haven't been able to in quite some time. So that's been amazing. Um, and also sometimes uh, solitude can lead to great creative thinking. So I, um, I was laughing. I thought to myself, like, it's so funny. I have a, a big desk that I work at all the time. It's my, can be my dining table or a desk. And it's like, I was, one day it's like oh my god this is what I would do as a boy I would send my friends home in the afternoon after playing and I just spend quiet time at my table um drawing or looking at is that something that you hope to sorry oh I said it's something I did as a boy so I... yes hello oh yeah yes I hear you now sorry you sort of cut out for oh, a second sorry I was saying it's something I realized I did as a boy and something I've been able, but I really just embraced again. I just thought it was kind of funny to come full circle um, with that. So yeah, I, I will, I think I will keep with me, hopefully the ability to just block it all out and um, really absorb mm -hmm. a book. That's so great. Well, as we wrap up our conversation, what is currently giving you hope in the world of design or otherwise? Um, I think that, What's great about the world of design right now is nobody is throwing in the towel. Everybody's working and doing all sorts of great things and also finding new ways of getting their voice or their work out there. So things like this podcast and other podcasts. And I've noticed a lot of people have really kind of gotten their voice out on Instagram and that sort of thing. So I just, that, that's kind of hopeful. And also I feel that, um, uh, uh, hmm think of a decent way to put this, not be a Debbie Downer. Um, I do think that, that no, that, that <laughs> we'll go back to the way that we were. I, I've seen um, evidence of it, people misbehaving or behaving horribly. But also I think that the, the kind and the, um, 
the patient people will continue to be kind and patient and maybe be um, embraced a little bit. No, that's kind of all over the place and stupid. That's a whack thought. <laughs> Turn no. up your recording. <laughs> I know. <laughs> no, I see where you're going with it. I mean, obviously some people right. will never change, but it feels like this time has been an impetus for a lot of people to realize yes. what truly matters and that the way that they treat others is important. And so hopefully they take that with them moving Thank forward. Thank you. Well said. <laughs> <laughs> see, Thank I've got you, you Michael. We're, we're simpatico. We're on the same wavelength. Oh. <laughs> Well, Michael, thank you so much. This has been such a joy to hear more about your story and learn about all of the wonderful things that you've accomplished. I'm so glad that you could spend this time with us. Thanks, thank you so Paula. much. Thanks very much. Great to talk to you. All well, right. take good care. Hopefully Hope soon. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. That was the creative director of the Urban Electric Company, Michael Amato. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Be sure to visit us online at thestylefilespodcast.com where you can find more episodes featuring inspiring conversations with creatives. You can listen directly on our website or be sure to subscribe via Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying The Style Files, please consider leaving us a positive rating or review. It will only take a few seconds of your time and will make a huge difference for us. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time.